please find your way back to your seat and remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading, for a second time, because I think we really need to hear it, is Isaiah 58, 5-12. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? And for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundation. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I have <clears throat> the honor of introducing Dr. Kit Danley uh, to us this morning. Uh, Kit and Wayne have joined us from Phoenix. Uh, they are really, really good friends of ours, um, foundational in uh, helping us discern our call here to Long Beach for Aaron and I and, and our boys. And um, <clears throat> a few things quickly uh, uh, about, about Kit. Um, she teaches asset-based community development globally and has done that for how long? How long? Uh, well, I've, years. Years. <laughs> and, you know, there's the, the saying, like, those who can do and those who can't teach. That is not true at all for Kit and Wayne. They have been practitioners for 40-plus years, uh, relocating their, their family um, into the inner city of Phoenix and making an incredible impact. So every time we get, we get to hang out with them, it feels like Jesus just dumps gas on a fire. Like, we are so encouraged. So we're so thankful to be able to hear from, from you, Kit, uh, this morning. Welcome. Good morning. <clears throat> My new sister. Oh, I just, 
surrendered to the scripture this morning, Isaiah 58, under my sister's teaching. Thank you so much for your gift. You know, I've been reading Isaiah 58, those passages, 5 through 12, 40 years, and I am like in a new space with them. So you're, I think I'll be a little weepy this morning, which is good. It's the Spirit of God. Well, thank you for the generous welcome Wayne and I have received uh, uh, since we've been with you. I feel like in some ways, uh, though it was Aaron and Will that invited us, I feel like it was you that invited us. And I've been experiencing it since we began our work yesterday. So thank you so much. There is a deep expectation uh, that is underneath your welcome. You know, I believe I'm going to start talking about other stuff that's not even about my message. But I wanted to say this last thing. There's a, I believe in a, the spiritual discipline of welcome. I think that's a thing. I think that's a spiritual gift from God. And when we practice it, we extend to one another uh, the power and the, and the purposes of God. And... Uh, and Wayne and I have experienced that with you since we've been here. So yesterday, uh, we imagined together moving out into the community using the tool of asset-based community development. This is a tool I've used for decades now. Asset-based community development helps us do what we already long to do, and that's be the church for and with our communities. It gets us outside the walls, so to speak. This longing, I believe, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. In today's vernacular and diverse church contexts, this kind of an approach is called everything from community ministry, becoming an externally focused church, being outward-facing, or even calling ourselves missional. I simply like saying we are longing to be a church that loves our neighbors. Believe me, we are simply reinventing an old wheel. The church determined to love its neighbors and get outside its walls has been happening since its inception over 2,000 years. I really like what the Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, during World War II said about that. The church is the only society on earth that exists for those who are not its members. The longing to be this kind of church, as I said, is in my estimation evidence of the work of God in us. Sadly, we can languish under this longing. Hearing that old question, if your church suddenly disappeared, who besides the church members would even notice? So instead of harboring that type of negativity, asset-based community development says, let's not wait. Let's get out there, meaning into the community and start to meet and love and serve our neighborhood. As a tiny review from yesterday's training, I'd like to mention the three assumptions we begin with when churches move out into their community to learn from it. 
to listen to its stories and find out the exact places God would have them join him in loving and serving their neighbors. First assumption, that God has called us to carry the good news to the poor outside the walls of the church grounds. Jesus himself preached this in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You know this verse. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People can't see us when we are cloistered behind walls and microcultures, busy with our church activities. That's the bowl over the light. You, light of the world people, let your light shine out there among them so your good deeds can be experienced and evidenced. And then, what will these people do according to the verse? They will praise your Father in heaven, giving God all the credit, for it's God alone who does these kinds of loving acts. Assumption number two, that his good news will be embodied by the hands and feet actions of his servants. A very cool quote on this has been attributed to St. Francis, that the truth of the gospel can be validated by actions. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. The third assumption is that the best carrier of compassionate action is the church. Do you believe this? Seems right, doesn't it? That the people of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, whose message is, for God so loved the world that these very people would tackle head-on the sufferings, the injustices, and the hopelessnesses of our planet. Now, I get it that the conversation about where the church is missing or is silent or is fighting with itself needs to happen, that conversation meaning needs to happen, but that's for another day, not for today. Today, we can agree that in many cases, globally, that the best carrier of compassion to action is the church. Churches who live outside their walls, loving their neighbors, become quite naturally students of Jesus' teachings and actions. But there is more. With the over 2,000 verses of God's heart for the poor, beginning at the law, moving through the wisdom literature and into the prophets. Jesus reminded his followers that he came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. And so as Jesus did, we become students of the whole Bible. This morning we will sit with one of the prophets, Isaiah, in a particularly important section of his book, chapter 58. The Old Testament prophets were responsible for correcting, redirecting, 
reminding God's people of their role and mission in the world. Israel's covenant relationship with God came with a calling, a witness, clearly a foreshadowing of the church's calling and witness. Foreshadowing because contained in these later books of Isaiah was the hope of what God's people were challenged to be and do. But it had collapsed. The exiles had returned to Jerusalem. Under Nehemiah, the city was rebuilt in record time. Under Ezra, the temple was rebuilt and the word of God was available again. But the people weren't ready. They would prefer to fight with each other, criticize their leaders, go back to loving money instead of God, seeking comfort and not a challenge. They couldn't hear the messages of being a city on a hill where the kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So the passage we will read was a foreshadowing a calling out to those capable of understanding the prophetic words of vision, reckoning, and blessing. Isaiah 58 was written for Israel, yes, but it's a clarion call for the church today. So we'll begin with verse 5 from Isaiah 58. God is speaking through Isaiah. As you've heard now twice this morning, this will be the third time. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen only for a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that the day, what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? God is asking Isaiah to tell the people they have him and worship all wrong. In the earlier verses, he clarifies what they got all wrong. You're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, you're a nation of right living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. The people respond, well, well, what's the right thing to do? They complain to God, why do, you, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? And the Lord answers. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You oppress your workers. You fast, but at the same time you fight with each other. You fast, but you literally, physically fight with each other. That kind of fasting won't get your prayers off the ground. Mark Laberton, the current president of Fuller Seminary, wrote a book in 2012 called The Dangerous Act of Worship. It's as if he was trying to answer in this book the question God poses in this chapter. Is this the kind of worship I want, says the Lord? In his book, Laberton suggests that worship is the dangerous act of waking up to God and God's purposes in the world. True biblical worship does not merely point us upward, it should turn us outward as well. Laberton shows how to move beyond the comfort of safe worship 
to authentic worship that is awake to the needs of the world. Verse 6 and 7 now. This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is this. Sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your own homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad and being available to your own families and your own flesh and blood. These ways of showing our faith are not just in Isaiah 58. They're all over the Bible, the book of James, Matthew 25, the Good Samaritan story, the Beatitudes, and all, according to God, are filled with the concept of this being our worship. These actions are what he wants. These actions glorify him. It's like when John the Baptist's disciples went hunting for Jesus. John would be beheaded soon, and John needed to know if Jesus was the Messiah. The men showed up before Jesus and said, John the baptizer sent us to ask you, are, are you the one we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? In the next two or three hours, Jesus healed many from diseases, many distresses and evil spirits. To many of the blind, he gave the gift to sight, and then he gave the answer. Go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The wretched poor of the earth have God's salvation welcome extended to them. This kind of living among the hurting of the world is the worship God wants the kind of living Jesus exhibited. Now verses 8 through 11. This costly worship is, according to the next version, verses, how should I say this? Worth it. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your light will become like noonday and the Lord will satisfy you always. He will satisfy you in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Amazing, isn't it? that this sacrificial kind of loving service to those among us, our neighbors, 
is remunerated with this lengthy list of blessings. It's as if this kind of worship so pleases the Lord that he wants us to know way ahead of time that it comes with an outpouring of provision and testimony of the grace of God in abundance. After 40 years of doing community work, I can tell you that when I look at this list, I shake my head and I say, it's true. My husband, and there he is right there, <laughs> is with me today and he would say the same thing. Let me give you a few examples. There is a hunger in our divisive world for good news, for good deed-doers that enter places of obvious inequity and join forces to eradicate the situation. Now, we don't look for a claim, but it will follow those who sacrificially give their lives away for others. Sometimes it's at Christmas where the local paper tells these good news stories Sometimes it's a podcast or a radio show informing their cynical listeners that there's good out there. Your light will break forth like the dawn. Your righteousness will go before you. The language here is so filled with joy, with hope, with confidence. Watch the promises say. Watch while you give the world reason to hope again that good and kind people exist. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Much of our work is intended to overcome generations of abuse and racial and ethnic hatred. Reconciliation is our mantra, but it oftentimes seems impossible. But God makes a way where there is no way. And so we endure and we work tirelessly against the entrenched systems. Prayer, it is powerful. Prayer works. Then you will call. And the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, the Lord says, ask me and I will tell you, I'm right here. Your healing will quickly appear. What does that mean? We are broken people, and most of us have seen an awful lot of pain. We can learn to see our own personal sufferings as gifts for each other, for without them we couldn't enter into an understanding or have compassion for the burdens that the other one carries. Without our pain, we cannot love each other with grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this in the final days of his life when he was imprisoned by Hitler. He says this, We have learned to see for once the great events of world history from below. 
through the perspective of the barred, the suspects, the badly treated, the powerless, the oppressed, the scoffed. In short, the perspective of those who suffer. We see that personal suffering is a more suitable key, a more fruitful principle than is personal good fortune for exploring the world by observation and action. As fellow sufferers, we are living examples that our pain isn't the final word. We can teach through our own stories that pain will be redeemed, that it is never wasted in God's economy, and that though there is deep darkness for a while, we illustrate this truth. Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Underneath the chaos lies the grace of God. This is the mystery. His provision through suffering. Our son has been battling cancer for going on 11 years. He is a warrior, not just battling his cancer, but he also battles injustice in our community. Wayne and I can bear witness to the presence of God, the glory of the Lord as our rear guard with every bone marrow transplant, with every cancer treatment, with every group or individual who names our son in prayer for this terrible time. During the first bone marrow transplant, over 15 members and community members got this tattoo, which names God as Jehovah Rapha, the God who is healer. Every Sunday at church, our son is named, continuing to call out the Lord, our protector, and our comfort. Our community watches Ian. Some of our community members have found solace in God by watching us in our suffering. We are close friends and colleagues to one of the finest immigration lawyers in the nation. She called me the other day for advice because, as she said, she currently has no priest and no parish, and I was the closest to a spiritual advisor she had. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Then last verse for today, verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. You can hear it, can't you? The worshipers who are living among their neighbors have built a reputation. They've addressed the broken places. They have addressed the historical sins. They have gotten their hands dirty and they haven't given up. And the community rises up and names them. They call them repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. 
So let's come back around full circle. What does Isaiah 58, 5 through 12 teach us about community ministry? What have we heard? We've heard that serving in difficult places with suffering people is the way God wants us to present our lives in worship. Romans 12.1 says it this way, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Secondly, we've heard that somehow in the mystery of the economy of God, this kind of living, our faith story of God in us is filled with a list in life of so much abundance that we can hardly name the benefits. And they certainly outweigh the costs. And we've heard that we become God's reputation among the people. We become named by them. Meaning the watchers, the observers, the community itself calls us repairers and restorers. When your teams get out into the community and begin their asset mapping interviews, they will meet all kinds of people who have been given as gifts to your city. The principal of the school who will tell them some harrowing stories of the children and families that live just minutes from this church. They will meet a social service provider who is aging now, has grown up here and can tell you where your gifts and talents are needed. She might even say that not much has changed since she was a girl. They will meet a young entrepreneur who gives them glimpses of what the future holds. They will providentially run into people who were present during the Rodney King riots and also the George Floyd marches. Stories will flow out of residents and historians alike. Some may meet will have forgotten. There are people out there who are interested in their faithful service all these years. Surprised that the ones interested are Christians. They will meet pastors and artists, and researchers, and police officers, hope-filled politicians, scientists, and heroes. God's assignment for you all in Long Beach will be revealed as these interviews unfold. And it will be magnificent. I, for one, can't wait to be included as you report back. So I want to bless you. With Will right here, I want to bless you. I want to bless you as you go out. I want to bless you as you discover Long Beach through the eyes of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to bless you as you find out your path forward 
into being present among this community in such a way that with time and with devotion and diligence, your reputation will be God's reputation as repairers and restorers of the streets in which to dwell. This is going to happen because God is in this. God is in this process of allowing this church to put its handprint by joining God in the work that he's already doing in Long Beach. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you so much, Kit. Now we'll, we'll continue our service uh, by celebrating...